happened on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Amen. St. Luke, writing in Acts chapter 2, puts it this way. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon and filled the earliest church just as Jesus said he would. But what is the Holy Spirit, and what is the Holy Spirit for? Why does he come, and what does he come to do? In recent years, certainly since the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 and since, much attention, when it's been paid to the Holy Spirit, much attention has been put upon the spectacular manifestations in signs and wonders, tongues and prophecies, and sometimes into more biblically questionable things. You see, we humans have the regrettable tendency of making everything about us, including the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this, much of our focus has been on the benefits of the Holy Spirit. Much of our focus has been on what the, benef- the, the Holy Spirit does and in us and through us. And I would say that in this, less has been paid upon what the Holy Spirit is for and what those benefits of the Holy Spirit are for. Certainly, the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And certainly, the Spirit remains, and spectacular manifestations do occur. But these are not the point of the coming and the gifting of the Spirit. Jesus, in our reading from St. John's Gospel, points out that the Spirit comes as witness to believers and to the world. And in that witness, the Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. Near the end of our passage from John's Gospel today, John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, He, the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this shouldn't catch anyone by surprise, that he will glorify Jesus. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, when God promised the Holy Spirit through the prophet Ezekiel, he said, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And the nations will know that I am the Lord when through you I vindicate my holiness. He goes on to say, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Why will God do this? In Ezekiel chapter 36, for the sake of his holy name. Why does the Holy Spirit fall upon the church fundamentally, ultimately, to bring glory to Jesus? And so when we begin to discuss the Holy Spirit and his coming on the day of Pentecost and his presence to and for and with all believers today, this is the first thing that must be said. The Holy Spirit, his whole ministry, is Christocentric. It is Christ-centered. It is wrapped up around Jesus. The Spirit is sent to continue the work of Jesus, to call people to believe in Jesus, and to help those who already believe in Jesus to continue to grow in their faith. The Spirit isn't into exalting or glorifying Himself. Rather, the Spirit is into exalting and glorifying Jesus. 
The Spirit isn't into exalting or glorifying the men and women He indwells and comes alongside of. He's into exalting and glorifying Jesus. And how then, we must ask the question, does the Spirit bring glory to Jesus? Well, if we look in our passage of Scripture that Father Ethan read for us this morning, our Gospel reading, John chapter 15, starting at verse 26, running through John chapter 16, verse 15, we see that in the first place, fundamentally, the Spirit gives glory to Jesus by giving witness to Jesus in the midst of persecution. This is something that we really don't want to talk about, think about, or even ponder, but if we look at the wider context of what Jesus has to say in John chapter 15, we cannot miss the context of persecution. You see, in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 15, immediately before our passage began this morning, and with none of those very helpful English subtexts and subtitles to interrupt the flow of the conversation, Jesus was discussing persecution of his disciples in the world, promising, in fact, that the world would hate them because it hated him. It's significant, I think, to note that it is immediately after promising persecution that Jesus then turns to promise the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's significant to note, I think, that after promising the Holy Spirit, Jesus then returns to persecution in the early verses of chapter 16. And so it's in this context of persecution, the world hating believers in Jesus because the world hated Jesus. And in fact, religious institutions coming against believers in Jesus, trying to kill them, thinking they're rendering service to God, that Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Spirit, or from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here, Jesus promises the helper, the the paraclete. He is one who comes alongside of. That's the actual meaning of the verb. He comes alongside of to help, to assist. Here, in the midst of persecution, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of believers in Jesus for the purpose of witnessing about Jesus. Even in the midst of persecution, believers in Jesus are, are called to continue in their witness to continue to glorify him. And so the Spirit comes, comes alongside in order to give witness and through strengthening disciples for them to give witness to Jesus. In this, the Holy Spirit is what one commentator calls the great counterweight put over and against the world and its persecutions. The great counterweight that enables disciples to stand firm against persecution and stand by them as they give witness to Jesus. The disciples are not alone in the midst of persecution. The helper is there. The helper is present. And they are not alone in the work of giving witness to and about Jesus. The helper also gives witness. So the first way in which the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in this world is by strengthening believers for witness to Jesus. Doing things in and helping believers do things that they could not, would not be able to do on their own. 
That is how the Holy Spirit comes, to glorify Jesus. That which we not, cannot, will not naturally do, the Holy Spirit will supernaturally do, calling attention not to ourselves as if we're Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. God rest his soul. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert, sorry. Or Wonder Woman, but that's a whole different universe. The Spirit comes to do things that we couldn't normally do to give the attention, the glory, to Jesus. He also comes, and when he comes to give glory to Jesus, he comes and he exposes. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 16, Jesus says this, When he comes, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict. What does the word convict? It means to expose. It means to refute. It means to convince. I love this story from a man named Stephen Kingsley. He owns a house cleaning company, and he explains it this way. In our family carpet cleaning business, we offered a special service for, removal, for removing pet urine odors. To show potential customers their need for the service, I would darken the room and then turn on a powerful black light. The black light caused urine crystals to glow brightly. To the horror of the homeowner, every drop and dribble could be seen, not only on the carpet, but usually on walls, drapes, furniture, and even on lampshades. One homeowner begged me to shut off the light. I can't bear to see it anymore. I don't care what it costs. Please clean it up. Another woman said, I'll never be comfortable in my home again. The offense was there all the time. But it was invisible until the right light exposed it. And Kingsley goes on to say, it would have been cruel to show customers the extent of their problem and then say, too bad for you and walk away. I, I brought the light, Kingsley says, so that they might desperately want my cleaning services. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus by exposing the corruption of the world and of individuals within the world. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus by exposing its sin in rejecting Jesus, by exposing how truly empty and broken its righteousness is, how perverted its sense of justice. The Holy Spirit exposes the moral corruption and empty righteousness of individuals as the Spirit reveals that the power of the ruler of this world, Satan, has been destroyed and he has been judged. And in the ministry of exposure, the Spirit glorifies Jesus as he calls men and women and children to repentance and to belief in Jesus. It isn't as if he just wants, the, wants us to see our corruption and then to leave us that way. Rather, like Kingsley, he wants us to see our corruption and come in and clean it for us in the name of Jesus Christ by the application of Jesus' vicarious substitutionary atonement on the cross and his death and burial and his resurrection from the empty tomb. And the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in that. I appreciate how D.A. Carson put it when he wrote... This convicting work of the paraclete is therefore gracious. It is designed to bring men and women of the world to recognize their need and so to turn to Jesus and thus stop being 
the world. Folks, we need this exposing work of the Holy Spirit because we really don't think of ourselves in the proper terms. In our natural selves, we are masters of delusion and justification. And thus, we can relate to St. Augustine when he said, My sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. And so we have the Holy Spirit who comes, exposes sin. The Holy Spirit who comes, glorifying Jesus by calling us to repentance and life in Jesus. And there, in Jesus, having been made a son or a daughter by adoption, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus by leading believers, by leading followers deeper into love and knowledge of Jesus Christ, deeper into union with Christ, deeper into transformation into the very image of Christ. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says something that, quite frankly, sounds quite a bit odd. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This sounds a bit odd because wouldn't it be better for Jesus to remain on earth, especially after his resurrection? Wouldn't it be better for Jesus, sort of like the Highlander, living forever and teaching forever and revealing himself forever? And yet Jesus says it is to the advantage of the disciples that he leave. Why? Well, he says, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When Jesus mentions his leaving and the Spirit's coming, he is referring to the events of his own ascension into heaven and the Spirit's descent in what we have as Acts chapter 2, that day of Pentecost. And this is for the good of believers in Jesus because Jesus' ascension, following the crucifixion and following the resurrection, means his work of salvation is complete and there is nothing left to be done. As we heard from Father Ethan last week, Jesus ascended into heaven as our forerunner, as our priest, and as our king. He ascended as the completion of his work of salvation was done on our behalf. He enters into God's presence as our trailblazer. He intercedes for us. He sits at the right hand of God reigning. It is for our advantage, the advantage of followers of Jesus, for Jesus to leave because that means salvation fully and perfectly has been accomplished for all who would believe. That's a great advantage. But it's also to the advantage of Jesus' followers because in the sending of the Holy Spirit, we begin a new epoch, a new era of human history. It is to the advantage of Jesus' followers for him to go and for the Spirit to come because this is a mark of the eschaton. It is eschatological. This isn't about some heretical notion that Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same place at the same time, as if that were a real concern. This is about the inauguration of the kingdom of God as the Bible promises that the Spirit will characterize that kingdom of God prophesied in passages such as Ezekiel 37. And that eschaton, that coming of the Spirit, won't happen until Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And so with Jesus ascended, his work for salvation complete, his kingdom, characterized by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is inaugurated. And that's a really good thing for us, to live in this kingdom 
reigned and ruled over by the ascended Christ. Finally, it is an advantage because with the Spirit coming, the disciples could now be who Jesus called them to be. Herman Ritterboss sums it up aptly. Only by the coming of the Spirit will they become that for which Jesus has called and loved them. This happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the life of a believer and within the corporate life of the church. As the Spirit gives glory to Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus by leading believers in Jesus into depths of love and faith and transformation otherwise unattainable. He will not come with something he will not come with something other than that which has already been proclaimed. The Holy Spirit is not coming with a new teaching. He's not coming with that which Jesus, he is coming with that which Jesus has said and done, that which the Father has said and done. And in this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is centered on Jesus and glorifies Jesus. Glorifies Jesus because believers are led deeper into understanding and love of Jesus. Glorifies Jesus through his work of witness and conviction, calling the world to respond to Jesus with repentance and with faith. Folks, our spiritual antennae should absolutely twitch if someone begins to talk about the Spirit proclaiming something new. Or if someone begins proclaiming a quote-unquote Spirit-inspired teaching that is contrary to that which has already been revealed in Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit will not teach something contradictory to Scripture, and the Holy Spirit will not operate in a way that glorifies a person other than Christ. And so our spiritual antennae should absolutely twitch if someone begins to draw attention to themselves and not to Jesus through some spectacular means or claim upon the Holy Spirit. Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit in giving comfort and strength, in giving witness and testimony, even in the giving of supernatural gifts is not about exalting the man, not about exalting the woman, but about exalting Christ. Exalting Jesus in calling people to repentance and faith. Exalting Jesus, as St. Paul writes, by building up the church body. And so we need to recognize that while the Holy Spirit is for believers, the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't fundamentally about believers. The gift of the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus, giving witness to him, exposing sin and calling to repentance and faith in Jesus and working in the lives of followers of Jesus to maintain their faith, to grow in their faith and go about the business that Jesus has given them to do. The whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is Christocentric. It is Christ-centered, wrapped up around Jesus. The Spirit gives glory to Jesus as he strengthens faithful men and women for ongoing witness in the face of cultural and religious persecution. 
The Spirit gives glory to Jesus as He exposes the sins of the world and calls upon people to repentance and faith in Jesus. And the Spirit gives glory to Jesus as He leads followers of Jesus deeper into love and knowledge of Jesus. How desperately we human beings need the Holy Spirit. And how gracious is the Spirit as He glorifies Jesus. A little over a year ago now, a vision was discerned and cast for Emmanuel Church. The elders, vestry, and pastors of Emmanuel believe God is calling us to be a church that glorifies Him by blessing people with gospel ministries, that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in the building of God's kingdom. To be this, to do this, we need the Holy Spirit to go before us. To be this, to do this, we need the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus before us, among us, around us, and after us. Simply put, to be who God has called us to be, and to do what God has called us to do, we need the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus in our midst. And we need to be Christ-centered, just as the Spirit is, and as the Spirit can lead us to be. So on this day of Pentecost, may our prayer be that we be a people of the Spirit, people who give glory to Jesus, calling the world and ourselves to repentance and faith, growing in our love and knowledge of Christ, no matter what may come. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we do praise you and give you thanks on this day of Pentecost for the blessedness, the blessings of knowing you, Father, through the mediation of the Son and by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We praise you and give you thanks for the true blessing that can be found in your presence. As we continue our worship this morning in song, we pray, Lord, that our songs, our prayers, and our praises would rise before you as our incense rose to the ceiling, and that Jesus would be exalted and you would be glorified. Fill us anew and afresh with your Holy Spirit, and lead us out to do those things you've given us to do. Come, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and continue our worship this morning. Worshiping through song.